Genesis 8, 13. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wives and his sons' wives with him. And every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Let's pray together. Father, I cannot help but be reminded of the flood of your wrath that is coming and that Jesus Christ has saved us and is our only hope. And God, as we look at the story, as we unravel um, hopefully the beauty and the riches and the depth of this text, may you propel our hearts forward to Jesus Christ, the great Savior, the great Redeemer. There is hope, there is an ark, there's a door open, and it's through faith in Jesus Christ. And so God, would you well up in us gratitude and hope and thankfulness for what you have provided for us in Jesus. God, would you open our hearts, would you soften our hearts? Lord, some here, um, we're just hard right now, our hearts are just bitter. Would you, would you do what you do best? Would you just overcome the hardness of our hearts and would you form Christ in us? Lord, some of us have major questions about the flood and the character of God. Lord, I pray that bigger than our questions would be the faith that you give us. God, would you give us faith to believe that even overcomes doubts to the point where we trust in Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. We pray this time would be honoring to you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, Village Church. Amen. You may be seated. My name is Michael Fueling. I'm the lead pastor here at Village Church. And today I have the privilege to open up God's word. Um, open up with me Genesis chapter 8. That's where we're going to be this morning. We're in a series on Genesis 1 through 11. And I want to just take a moment. Can we empathize with Noah for a moment? Uh, I have a couple questions. Um, what do you imagine Noah experienced? I'll give you a couple answers to this. Swift mass death. People panicking, loved ones dying, everyone, and I mean everyone drowning. Dead bodies, complete devastation. Uh, Jesus actually references this in Matthew 24. Here's what he says. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Their life was normal until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. I've often wondered if Noah had nightmares for the rest of his life. Um, I don't know if you know how Village Church services prepare and get function, but um, at eight o'clock in the morning, our worship team comes here, and we, well, they're here at six in the morning, let's be clear, um, but we all come together, everyone involved in the service, and we just walk through things, and we pray together, and we get our heads together, and, and during the walkthrough, my wife was reading this scripture um, from uh, Genesis chapter seven, and it hit me in a way, honestly, that it hadn't hit me before, I'm sitting in practice, and I'm like crying, and like, I'm thinking about my neighbors, I'm thinking about people I love. Everybody in his whole life is gone, obliterated in just a moment. I'm thinking about my chickens, <laughs> right? <laughs> gone. You think about your dogs. Some of you shoot your dogs. We love our dog. Great. You know, you think about every single thing on the planet. Gone. Everybody. 
Like every single day for the rest of his life are memories of them and they and their neighbors and this person and that person and their relatives. Uh, it's interesting because you even find that um, the text tells you that his grandfather Lamech, he died the year of the flood. The, the text leaves you with this conclusion that even his grandpa died. All of Noah's sons, wives, parents, brothers, sisters, everybody dead, gone. I mean, can you just empathize with this guy for a moment? You read the flood, and it's just like, oh, yeah, there's a flood. Was it global or was it local? Blah, blah, blah. Like, we get caught in the details. This is one of the most gut-wrenching moments in all of Scripture. Uh, Let's empathize with him. Let's think about what he experienced. Extreme confinement. Uh, He was in a boat for over 370 days. Uh, Honestly, um, I don't know if you get seasick. Um, I really don't, but I've never been in a boat for 350 days. Um, imagine all the animals, imagine everything. I just, it's an unbelievable thought. Imagine, imagine this, the uncertain future. Did you know that God never told Noah how long the flood was going to be? How long the rains were going to be? How long he was going to be in a boat? Every single day, it's raining, and it's raining, and it's raining. Is this going to go on forever and ever and ever? How much closer to the stars can we get? Every day, 40 days, 40 nights. Well, then it stops raining. Well, how long are we going to be in this boat for? 150 more days? 100 days after that, it goes, and it goes, and it goes, and the Lord never once told him how long this was going to be. It's like the movie Waterworld. Is this all there is forever and ever? Terrible movie. <laughs> I mean, God put Noah in an impossibly difficult situation. Here's a question I was, I was thinking about for myself when I was studying this. Um, Michael, is, does God have your permission to do this to you? Does God have your permission to take everything you love, everything you want, everything that is normal, everything that is familiar, and to take it away in just a moment? By the way, he doesn't really ask our permission, so if he's going to do it, though, like, am I okay with it? Am I prepared for that? What am I prepared to do if the Lord takes everything from me in a moment and sweeps them all away? Will I shake my fist, wag my finger, or get on my face and worship? That's the question. And I'm reading this, and, and, and Noah had quite some time, 120 years to prepare for this, but I'm not sure how you prepare for the mass devastation and the, and the blotting out of all of human life. I don't know how you prepare for that. Here's a question. Um, what do you imagine Noah lost personally? Home, possessions, friends, familiarity, the entire earth as he knew it. When the waters would dry, the earth would be reformed and reshaped massively. Um, I recently listened to a sermon um, actually on, on this text, and uh, it was a dumb sermon. And the, the, the point of the sermon was when the storms of life come, and it was like when you lose your job, when you, you, when you hurt yourself, right? And I'm thinking, this is not about the storms of life. This is the storm that ended all life. You, know, you, you see how easy it is to trivialize texts like this and to just say, oh, how hard is your life? You're right. Like, this is when the Lord literally you watch the wrath of God poured out on people you love, and it is heartbreaking. And we see this in small ways. We see this in personal ways as people rebel against God, and God gives them over to their sin. But I'm telling you, there's a day coming when another flood, metaphorically, will, will come. And Jesus Christ will come back to judge the living and the dead, and it's real, and it's objective. Here's, here's a, another question. What would you do the moment you got off the boat? 
So um, I shared with you guys actually a couple years ago the story of my arch enemy, the mini sailboat. And uh, the mini sailboat and I are not good friends. There's a home in Petoskey that we sometimes go to, and uh, they have a mini sailboat there. And um, I was with my uh, nephew. At the time, he was seven. My daughters were six and four. And I decided it was a bright, sunshiny day, upper 80s, and sprayed sunscreen on the kids. And I thought to myself, let's go in the mini sailboat, and let's go in the middle of the lake. Um, I'm a master sailman. Is that the right word? Sailor? Sailor, not sailman. Whoops, I'm a master sailor. Uh, I had been on the boat a hole like two times, and uh, so I get the kids together, I spray sunscreen on them, and we put a little rope with a, with a tube on the back so all the kids can haul along. And I think I'm a genius, right? I think there's gonna be blasts. You know, Uncle Mike's gonna be the best uncle in the world. Well, the wind starts blowing, and it takes us out there, and I'd say about 10 minutes in, in the middle of the lake, it all just stops for hours. And it's about one or two in the afternoon in the heat of the day. And I'm like, just I'm waiting for wind. I'm waiting for wind. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Finally, my daughter, she says to me, I think after about an hour, are we going to die out here, Dad? I'm like, no, we're not going to die out here. Dear Jesus, please don't let us die out here. Dear Jesus, do it now. Time goes on. I get stung by a wasp. Uh, that was frustrating. I'm like, why is there a wasp? Literally in the middle of a lake. That makes no sense to me. Um, I'm sitting there, and uh, a gust of wind comes for a moment. And you guys know a sailboat's how... You call it the sail? Whatever the thing is, it moves quickly, right? I'm, I look over, and it's coming right at my head to clunk. I mean, I got a big bruise in my head. I'm really, really, like, happy. I didn't get knocked unconscious with three kids sitting out here. Uh, the six-year-old, the seven-year-old nephew is like, hey, Uncle Mike, I'm going to swim to shore. And I'm like, no, you're not. Um, you will drown to death, and then I'll have to go get you, and then my kids will drown to death, and we'll all be dead. Like, that's not happening either. Uh, meanwhile, I'm shouting. We're all shouting, Brynn! Aunt Brienne, Mom, Brienne, and I think you're asleep. I don't know. Uh, it was hours. That's all I know. She says it was 45 minutes. It was not 45 minutes. Objectively, <laughs> objectively, it was a very, very long time. Um, I think you left and with Aunt Lene went to the store. I'm just making stuff up at this point. She's looking at me saying no to everything I'm saying. I don't know what they were doing. Here's what I do know. They were not paying attention to us. There were no jet skis. There were no boats. I'm thinking, this is the way I'm going to die. And after a long time, um, I finally, we get, we get drifted over about three quarters of a mile from, from where we need to be. And my tippy toes can touch the sand, you know, murky, muddy sand. And I'm in the water trying to pull a mini sailboat and a rope. And three little kids are all like, we want to go home. It's in the middle of nap time. It was just pure misery. And I got off. We hit dry land. And you know, the first thing I said was, Thank you, Jesus. We're not going to die. The second thing I did is I ran over and I found Brienne. I was like, where were you? What were we doing? We almost died. I'm really angry. And it was not a great conversation. But it's interesting because when you, when you feel like you, your life is about to end and there is like that immediate provision and you're able to walk on dry land, which is an absolute miracle of an experience, for Noah, this had to be an unbelievable, unbelievable moment. Do you know what did, Noah did the moment he walked on dry land? Point number one, you know it, so you can pull him out. Noah worshiped. Listen to what it says. Then Noah gets right off the boat, built an altar to the Lord. Can we just savor this for a moment? There are two great moments of worship in Scripture. Just stop your, stop your heart, just wow. One is Job, loses all of his children, loses all of his possessions, loses all of his house, his wife. She says to him, curse God and die. And his response is, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is number two. This is the moment you get off the ark and you have a gajillion questions for God 
and you get off and you land on dry land and you don't go hunt, you don't go look around, you're not like, what's going on? He gets on dry land and he just worships. Look what he does. And Noah took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. I wanna draw your attention to three things. Noah worshiped despite unanswered questions. Um, I, I think Noah probably faced every major apologetical question that you and I face today, but he faced them in ways and depths that you and I could never understand. For us, our difficult questions for God are theory out there, okay? For Noah, it is personal. Here's one. How could a loving God blot out all of humanity and animals from the face of the earth? Have you ever personally had to witness that? This was personal for Noah. Will, will all these people go to hell? If God knew that mankind was gonna be so corrupt, then why would he make them in the first place? If God was good and loving, wouldn't it have been more loving for him to have never created them at all? Like, if you wanna find anybody who has a legit reason to look at God, shake his fist, wag his finger, it's Noah. But he doesn't do that. Noah worships God despite his unanswered questions. Number two, despite personal loss. Noah and his kids, we said they lost everything. Extended family, this is personal. When somebody you love dies, let alone everyone you love, the last thing we wanna do is get on our face and worship. And Noah is a model to us. When life is at its hardest, when you have nowhere to go, none of your questions are answered, the answer is not to shake your fist at God, the answer is to worship. Noah worshiped despite his own inadequacies. Noah's a righteous man, but Noah's not perfect. Noah knows, he knows, he knows that he deserves the flood. He knows this. Uh, Burnt offerings were given for two reasons. Number one, thanksgiving. Thanksgiving that there is a way out. Number two, as an atonement for your sins. As a way of saying, I'm wrong, will you forgive me? God, I know that there's something wrong in me. This was not just like I'm a really awesome guy, God, you're great. This is his way of saying, thank you for not killing me. I know that I deserved to die. Let's pause it for a moment. What was distinct about Noah's worship? Number one, it was God-centered. It was God-centered. He had barely anything left. Two of every kind plus what they reproduced while they were in the boat, not a lot. Of the meager resources he has, he finds them and he gives to the Lord, the first and the best. I mean, this is a huge, you may not see this, but this is a huge sacrifice. He, He understood that if God can start over with just two, he can take these and he can sacrifice them to the Lord. Noah's worship was an intentional act of gratitude. I'm, I don't know about you, but the last thing I want to do when the Lord takes away everything that I love and know, the last thing I want to do is say, thank you. Thank you for what I have left. Noah's worship was rooted in blood. It's interesting. Every culture and everywhere all over the world, until maybe the last hundred years, uh, uh, every culture understood this like principle. Um, the God or gods are mad and they require blood. I don't know if you know that. As Westerners, this is an unfamiliar concept to most of us, but every culture in the world and every civilization, for the most part, 99.9% of them have this understanding. There are God or gods up there. They're upset because we're not okay or doing their will, and the only way to make them happy is by sacrificing, and it's almost always through blood. Do you know this? As Christians, we understand this principle hasn't stopped. There is a God in heaven, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he is very upset with the behaviors and the attitudes and the rebellion of humanity, and there is blood that must be paid, and here's the option that every single human being on the planet has. It's gonna be your blood or Jesus' blood. Take Jesus' blood. 
And Jesus' blood is the atonement for our sins. And here's what he understands. Noah gets this, that there must be blood for the sin of this world and for the sin of Noah. Noah looked forward, not specifically to the name Jesus Christ, but to the provision that God was gonna pay for his sins personally. Noah understood that the blood of of birds is never gonna take away sins. But here's what he understood, that God would deal with his sin and God would make this right. Number two in your notes, God was pleased despite Here's an interesting um, theme through Genesis 1 through 11 that it's really crazy. It just comes up. It's a theme of worship. We saw Cain's worship was rejected. Abel's worship was um, accepted. And now we get to Noah's worship. And this is a whole different category. Noah's worship wasn't just accepted, but God delighted in it. And there's a principle here as, as, we, as we think about our corporate worship, our individual worship. I don't know if you get this. Like, I think sometimes people think worship is like when a kid says, like, like, hey, dad, check this out. Hey, dad, look at the thing I can do. And then the parents are like, oh, yeah, that's adorable. Ha, 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 fake smile. Well, you know, that's not what worship is like to God at all, at all. In fact, worship is really personal to God. And we find that our worship, individually, corporately, is something that has capacity to bring great, great, genuine, sincere pleasure to the heart and to the mind of God. Like that when God looks at our worship, right, that we have the capacity to bring him actual, legitimate joy to please him. This isn't some condescending father just acknowledging the cute thing that the kid is doing, which is why when we come together in corporate worship, I I believe it's just a sacred time. It is so valuable to God. When you're spending time personally worshiping God, praying to him, um, this is sacred to God, and the Lord just loves this. Look, look, Look what happens in verse 21. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. Notice two things. What was Noah's worship like? The word is pleasing. Pleasing. This is a combination of rest and tranquility. Uh, This is the idea that when God heard Noah's worship, when he smelled this, that it provided and produced in him just this steep satisfaction. This is good. This is good. This is what I enjoy. It's something that he just savored and he took in. And, and, And I just need you to stop here and catch this, that the Lord takes genuine pleasure in your personal worship, your personal worship. I don't know your hearts here, but I know probably, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt, love believes all things. The vast majority of you come into corporate worship on Sunday mornings and your heart is to God. Perfect? No, but toward God. Your mind genuinely wants to know God and his word. When we pray, you you follow and you say amen with the people praying. You are engaged when we sing. You may not understand all the words. Uh, There might be moments where you just zone out and say the words because they're just familiar, but your heart is to God. And I think the Lord just steps back and he's like, yes, like this is pleasing to me. Never forget that before you criticize worship, first and foremost, this is something that's deeply, deeply personal to God. Criticism isn't always bad, but first and foremost, what we're doing here, what we do personally, is emotional to God. But here's the second thing. I want you to notice God's response to Noah's genuine, God-centered, grateful worship. He was so moved that he actually made a decision after receiving the worship, after seeing this worship, you see the word when, when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground. I love this because um, the text goes on in verse 21, I will never again curse the ground because a man for 
the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. The Lord receives the worship as a response to being pleased by Noah's worship. He responds by making a covenant, not just with Noah, but with all of mankind. And I need you to hear this, despite. So here's what he says. I'm going to make a covenant. I'm going to make a promise. I'm going to make a commitment to Noah, all the animals, everything. I'm never going to blot you out again. But I want you to know this. I'm making this covenant with you and all of humanity, despite the fact that from the very early moments that you can process reality, your intentions and motivations are evil, right? So this nonsense that people are good, you literally have not raised kids, okay? If you raise a child, you will know people are not good, We have to learn to be good, let alone be transformed in the inner person to actually be good according to God. Here's what he says. I'm going to make a covenant. I'm going to make a promise with you, despite the fact that, Noah, you have sin in your heart, and I know what your kids are going to do also. We're going to see that next week, and it's actually pretty demented. I know what is actually inside of your heart. I know what's in your kid's heart. I see the future. I'm looking down the corridors of history, and I'm going to see unspeakable evil, millions upon millions upon hundreds of millions of people executed at the hands of other men and other women. And I'm still going to make this promise to you, no matter how evil and how wicked and how disgusting and how vile humanity gets, I will never again send a flood and destroy everybody. Noah. I'm gonna receive your worship and I'm pleased by it despite what you're gonna do in the next chapter. Uh, The text goes on, I wanna read this for you. It's a little bit long, so follow along with me. Neither will I again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Go to Genesis 9, verses eight to 15. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, that is all of us and all of humanity, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the, out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I, I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Can someone give me an amen on that one? My goodness. And God said, here's the sign. This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I, I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. Two questions. Number one, what is a covenant? A covenant, very simply, is a spiritual agreement. Uh, We talk about the covenant of marriage. Uh, Marriage is a sacred spiritual institution instituted by God, a man and a woman, covenant with God and with each other for life. It is a spiritual promise made between two parties. At the core, that's what it is. The difference between uh, a covenant and a contract, would say, is contracts have no spiritual dimension to them, if you will. Um, This is something that is important to God. It's done in the presence of God. It's very meaningful to God. So we have marriage and other things. God makes a handful of covenants with his people. There are two kinds of covenants. We have conditional. uh, If you will, then I will. It's like a contract with spiritual dimensions. 
And then we have unconditional uh, covenants, which is even if you don't, I always will. You have conditional covenants and you have unconditional covenants. The Mosaic covenant is a conditional covenant. It's a blessing and cursing covenant. If you're gonna do this, if you will obey me, I will bless you. It's conditional. It's like a spiritual contract that God has made with his people. And you'll see a handful of conditional covenants in scripture. Typically, when men uh, and women make covenants with each other, not in the context of marriage, um, in scripture, sometimes they're conditional, sometimes they're unconditional. Marriage is an unconditional covenant. It is a spiritual promise that no matter what you do, I will uphold my end of the bargain and my commitment is to you despite you. That's an unconditional covenant. Your salvation is an unconditional covenant. The new covenant is unconditional. It is not, if you will obey me, then I will save you. But if you cease obeying me, then your salvation and my my commitment to you ceases. Your salvation is an unconditional covenant where God pursued you, called you, chose you, plucked you out, gave you faith, gave you a heart to believe, and now has committed himself to you through his Holy Spirit and says, does it not matter how dumb you are, Okay? I'm going to give you faith, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit, and I am committed to you from now into all of eternity. You can try to resist me, you can try to do I will overcome your resistance, I will save you. Your salvation is an unconditional covenant. This is why we say you cannot lose your salvation under any circumstances. Once saved, always saved. If truly saved, you will always be saved. Uh, even if you struggle with faith, there will always be like this mustard seed of faith left inside of you. <clears throat> my daughter, um, we often have conversations where she'll talk about her struggle with faith. And I'll say, but do you have a mustard seed? And she'll always say, I have a mustard seed. And I'm like, that's all you need. I have a mustard seed. That's all you need. And your faith will go up and it will go down uh, in terms of your experience uh, with it. Um, But you will always have faith. And the Lord will preserve you. It's unconditional. What God is making with Noah and with all of humanity is an unconditional covenant. It does not matter how wicked you are, how wicked you become. It does not matter how vile the earth is. I will never, ever, ever, ever do this like this again. Question number two, why this covenant? Um, Why is this so personal? Could you imagine the next time it rained? Seriously, think about that. Oh my gosh, this is it. (laughs) No, we, we don't totally know... The, the relationship of rain to the earth pre-flood, you can surmise, I'd love to hear your ideas. Um, it's a little slippery in the text, trying to figure out, did it rain, if so, was there a mist, how did all that work? Doesn't matter, actually. Here's what we do know. The moment it rained again, everybody was gonna panic. Is this it? Uh, the moment it rained a lot, you know some days it rains for like two or three days at a time, right? Um, those are like absolutely devastating, okay? Those are like, oh, we're so bored, get us out of the house, it's ruining all of our plans, what's gonna happen, right? Imagine this, and this was one of the most kind, gracious gifts that God has given humanity. It's gonna rain, it's gonna rain a lot. There will be local floods in different places, it's gonna be pretty disastrous sometimes, but here's what you need to know. There's always some place you can go. This will not cover the earth, and I will never destroy the earth like this ever again. You don't need to worry about rain. In fact, when the rain comes, I'm gonna put a bow in the sky. Here's what you need to remember. Every time I see that, I will relent. Here's what you also have to remember. The rain is a gift because without it, the plants won't grow and you need this. Without rain, things are gonna be very, very, very hard in terms of agriculture and farming and working the land. You need rain. Rain is a good thing. And somehow this thing that became a a source of devastation would become a source of gratitude. Every Every single time it rained, you could say, thank you, God, we won't be in a drought any longer. And God changed the entire game with this promise. It might just seem so silly, like, yeah, he's not gonna try the whole world again. 
Had you gone through what Noah went, this would be deeply, deeply personal. Um, one of the things that we're going to be um, doing over the next couple of weeks, actually, um, in case you don't know this, um, Pastor Tim and I, we do what's called a Q&A podcast. Uh, some of you know it, some of you don't. Um, three days a week, we ask questions. And um, one of the things that we do is we want to a- answer all the questions that you have. And so we have gotten questions literally from all over the world. I think our latest metrics were like over 40 countries. Like, it's kind of cool. Like, we just did this to serve the church and to answer your questions. And then before we knew it, it was like, wow, we're getting questions from all over Africa and Asia and and Europe. It was pretty interesting to see how that was able to spread. But one of the great delights that we have is just to answer your crazy questions. Nothing is off limits. By the way, I have to give you this little, like, if you listen with kids in the car, just be careful. <laughs> How many of you have made that error, right? A handful of you, you've called me and said, can you let us know when certain subjects are gonna be discussed? Uh, yes. So, um, but one of the things that we wanna do because we could literally spend years and years and years talking about the flood and all of your questions. And I wanna honor your questions at the Village Church and hopefully wherever your spiritual community is, you have the freedom to bring the most difficult, the most challenging and the most intense questions to the table. Uh, We want this community to be one where there's no question that is off limits. Not all questions are equally as bright, but all questions are welcome here, right? You know what I'm saying? I was gonna say there are no dumb questions, but Tim, we've got a handful of them where I'm like, okay. Um, But uh, here are some questions that um, not this week, but next week they're gonna be posted, and uh, we might bring in Pastor Craig, too, because he's preaching on this, and we'll do a, a conversation between the three of us, we're going to answer these. Why did people live so long before the flood? Have you ever just read this, and you're trying to wrap your head around it, and then maybe your non-Christian friends are like, the Bible's complete nonsense, and here's why? Uh, we want to tackle that question. Was it a local or global flood? Um, obviously, the text communicates very, it seems explicitly global, trying to figure out how do you reconcile that with modern science, different religious texts, etc. Did Noah's sons mate with their sisters and cousins? And if so, why isn't everyone massively deformed? How did all the animals fit into the ark? That's a really good question. In fact, the answer will probably surprise you on that. Um, why flood the earth if people were still sinful? Like, you're gonna get rid of everybody only to have more sinful people just reproduce. Like in a couple hundred years, you're gonna have equally as many people and they're probably gonna be just as sinful. So why do it if you're gonna have the same problem just a couple hundred years from now? Um, What I wanna ask you to do actually this week and on your Connect cards is would you guys submit questions? Uh, If there are other questions you want us to deal with, um, would you write them down? Um, Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9 are loaded loaded with with interesting content and things that are pretty confusing. And so read through those, submit those. You can do that on our website and the cards in front of you. But Tim and I would love the opportunity just to go deeper into your questions, to honor them, and to help you get some of the answers you need. Um, I want to come back to this, though. I'm going to come back now to to the covenant. Um, Because God makes a handful of covenants in Scripture. And what I love about the Noahic covenant is this, is that as God makes the covenant with Noah, He has never once broken his promise. And you look look back over all the promises that God has made, and you cannot find a promise where the Lord did not keep it. And so somebody might ask, how do I know Jesus is gonna come back? It's been 2,000 years. It feels like it's really far off. And here's what we can say. The Lord is faithful to keep his word. The Lord has never, ever once failed us. There have been local floods, but there has never been something like this in all of the rest of human history. 
and you look back covenant by covenant, promise by promise, even the hard ones, where God made conditional covenants with the people of Israel and said, if you do this, I will bless you, and then he did. Uh, Even more scary is when he promised them, if you don't obey me, I will destroy you from the land. I will send you into slavery. And you know what God did? He did exactly that. God does not just keep the easy promises, he keeps the hard promises. And so when we start looking at Noah's covenant, what this does is it doesn't just make us grateful every time it rains and we're not all blotted out from the earth, but it reminds us that we serve a faithful God. And when he promises, I will finish in you what I started, you who have trusted in Jesus Christ, no matter how hard it is out there, no matter how frustrating it is to grow in the Lord, here's his promise to you. I will finish what I began in you through faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus will bring you to the end. And one day, he is going to come back. And he's not going to come back because it's some fairy tale. He's coming back because he promised. And he always keeps his promises. And Jesus Christ will come back to judge the living and the dead. And when he comes back to judge the living and the dead, those who have faith in Jesus Christ will be saved as Noah was saved on the ark. He is our ark. He is our boat. Because this time it will not be destroyed with water, but with fire, and the earth will be renewed. And you want to be in the ark, in Jesus Christ, when he comes back again. And so my plea with you this morning, it's very simple. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, my desire for you is you would walk out of here, as it rains this week, you would give God glory, you would thank him, that you would thank him because he has objectively, right now, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, saved you from the coming flood of the judgment of God. You are saved, there is no worry, one ounce in your heart, you, because God is faithful, will be saved from the coming judgment. If you are not a Christian in this room, I will plead with you. Do not let one day go by before you place your faith in Jesus Christ. Because what Jesus said is that, it's like that in the days of Noah, so it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking and giving in marriage, and they were going to work, and they were doing their thing, and they were living their life. Flood, swept away, didn't even know it was coming. And there's not a chance in that moment to say, I'm sorry, because it's so quick. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day you go before the Lord, and you trust in Jesus Christ. One of the biggest, biggest misunderstandings of all in American culture is that almost every single person, no matter what I say, thinks that you have to be good enough to go to heaven. And what I love is that Jesus was good enough for you. Jesus' blood is the atonement that covers your sins. That God, his anger at our sin can be satisfied through the blood of Jesus Christ. Here's your job. You don't work for it. You don't go to church hard enough. You don't give a ton to get saved. You trust in Jesus Christ. That is it. And so today, if you want to make right with God, if you want to have your sins forgiven, if you want to get on the boat and be saved from the coming wrath, forget that. If you want to be saved to God and be given the Holy Spirit and live, to Christ, if you want to be renewed from the inside out and transformed into the image of Jesus, it happens only through faith in Jesus Christ. My plea with you is don't let today go without trusting in him. I want to take a minute. I want to pray for you, and we're going to celebrate communion together. Let's pray together. Father, I am so, so thankful. And at the same time, even as I just reflect on the first flood, um, I cannot help but put myself in Noah's shoes. And and Lord, as I think about the coming judgment and the second coming of Christ, I can't help but, but think that there are gonna be people that I love so, so, so dearly. And God, 
at this point, I just learned that I can control me in this moment, and I know that's a story for us in this room, and so God, our desire is to be faithful to you, but Lord, even when we are faithless, you remain faithful. God, I pray for those whose questions have become bigger than their faith, who are using questions maybe as an excuse to actually not have to deal with you. Lord, I don't ask that you would get rid of their questions. I ask that you would increase their faith so their questions could be processed through the lens of your faith that you give to us. Would you show them Jesus? Would you show them who he is? Lord, those of us who often are just worried because um, our questions... um, create insecurity in us. God, I pray you would just increase our faith, that you would give us confidence. Lord, though we may not understand all things, all things will be made clear, and you will be vindicated and justified, and so will every single person who's placed their faith in Jesus. Lord, as we turn our hearts to the communion table now, thank you for what this represents. This represents our ark, our way out. Fill us like you did Noah with gratitude and worship because of what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. Amen. If you are new with us uh, at Village Church um, and you don't know what we do at communion, let me just share with you. Um, If you are from a different church and you're worshiping with us, we want to invite you to partake with us if, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, your family, whether or not you go to this church, we are one in Christ, what brings us together Um, far, far outweighs what separates us. And so if you're a brother and sister because you've trusted in Jesus and you're not relying on your good works or your righteousness, um, I wanna just invite you, would you partake of communion with us? Some of you are here, um, you're searching, you've been dragged here, love that you're here. And uh, here's what we ask you in communion. When the elements come by you, our simple ask is that you let them pass by you and you not partake. And the reason we say that is because to partake is to proclaim. It is to proclaim that I'm a Christian. It's to proclaim that I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins in my place. It's to proclaim and to declare, um, maybe not with your words, but with your actions, that Jesus Christ didn't just die on the cross for my sins, but was raised on the third day and is coming back. It's to declare that I'm his. I'm in a relationship with him. I'm forgiven. I am redeemed. The blood of Christ covers me. It's a huge, huge thing to actually partake of communion because it's saying so much about you without saying it. If you're not there, Honestly, we're just glad you're here. Maybe today, though, um, you want to trust in Christ, and it is heavy on your heart, and I want to encourage you in this. Um, If you want to trust in Christ, partake of communion, and let your partaking be your declaration to God that you believe, and your declaration to those around you. Uh, Maybe today will be the first communion that you take. Partaking of communion is a remembrance. You remember what God did for you in Jesus Christ. So what's gonna happen here in a moment is we'll have some time of silence, just an opportunity for you to talk to God. I'm gonna pray. And then uh, when I pray, we're gonna stand together. We're gonna worship while the elements are handed out. Hold on to them until the end of the song uh, because we're gonna partake together at the end as a sign of our unity in Jesus Christ. Let's take a moment and talk to God.